I suspect many of you, if not all of you, have heard the saying before, be careful what you wish for or pray for because you might get it. Anybody hear that before? Any of you ever used that one? No? I'm the only one? All right, Susie has. Um, that's kind of a little bit where we're going uh, with some of our thoughts today. Um, but just a quick review uh, for those of you that uh, were not here last week and a reminder for those of you who were here and not paying attention. Um, last week we talked a little bit about what it would take for our next five years as a church to be our best five years. We, we looked at a variety of different things, but in addition to talking about as a church, um, you can go ahead and go to, go to the next one if you want and uh, actually skip to the, to the next one after that. There we go. Uh, yeah, exactly. So what would it take for the next uh, five years to be your best five years? Because obviously, as I've talked before, in order for our church as a whole to be the best we can be, it means we as individual members or parts who make up the church in its totality need to be striving to be uh, the best that we can be. And so I just wanted us to think about that a little bit in the message last week, and I'm going to continue to come back to that theme uh, over the next couple weeks. Uh, and as I talked about it last week, uh, one of the things we did was we looked at our vision statement. So you can go to the next one, Matt, which has our vision statement. Many of you know it, uh, but it says, it is our vision as a church here at Caring Community to create a Christ-centered, family-focused environment where people of all ages are to what? Okay, you were, I know I didn't warn you, uh, but you did catch on. Let's read that together, all together now. It is our vision... Excellent. You can go to the next one. Um, after that, um, we talked a little bit from Acts chapter 2, and, and basically I came back to this idea uh, that for us, for the next five years, to be our best five years, there were several things involved. Some of them involved people, some of them involved places, some of them involved programs, and we talked toward the end of how that was all interconnected. And then finally last week, we kind of ended on this last question. You can go to the next slide if you would, Matt. Um, and it's the people part of it. What would it look like for our next five years, or excuse me, for the next year, 2012, to be our best people year ever? All right? And remember, those of you that were here, those of you weren't, and it's, I'm sorry if you listened to the, uh, to the recording, it's a little tough to pick up the people's input, but I actually asked you to share your thoughts in terms of what it would look like for this coming year to be our best people year to date. And, and just to summarize, and please understand this as a, as a, as a real general summarization, uh, but the first thing we talked about, or one of the things we talked about, was for 2012 to be our best people year yet uh, would require a deeper connectivity among the congregation. Uh, I even picked on you a little bit about uh, where people sit, and I see a few folks are sitting in different places this week. I don't know if that's a response to what I said, or if that's just because your seat was taken when you got here, and, and you gave somebody a stink eye for sitting in your seat and then went somewhere else. Um, but uh, we talked a little bit about the, the importance of, of living in a sense of community, about fellowship, about uh, supporting and encouraging each other, that sense that, that I have members of my church family who are there for me when I need it. And friends, no matter how much we grow, 
I have a suspicion this is an area where we're always going to be saying, okay, we could do better here. I, I, I guarantee you at any given point in time, there are people here who feel like their church family is the best thing that, that happened to them. And then there are others who are feeling, you know what, I, I'm feeling kind of left out. I don't feel like I have any, any connection or friends at church. And so well, that always needs to be on the back of our mind. Then we also talked about, um, about speaking out more as Christians. You know, expressing our concern about, about things that we see going on. Mike raised a special, a specific issue, and, and I think many of us have dealt with that in terms of, of even so far stuff being scheduled on Sunday mornings that make it, we have to choose whether we're going to get our kids or get myself to my activities or training exercises or if I'm going to be at church. And so uh, we suggested that maybe for 2012 to be uh, our best people year yet, that we need to, to speak out more as Christians. And then, and then we also talked, and I, I think maybe it was Linda Omer, and, and, and I appreciate Linda uh, that she consistently reminds me of this, but one of the things we suggested was that for 2012 to be our best people year yet, we need to engage our community more. We need to be more involved in the areas in which we minister and, and in the communities where we live. Uh, just that sense of people in the, in the community know that, that, hey, these people care about me. And, and again, that's definitely an area where we can continue to grow. We do a couple of nice things, you know, like the, the fireworks outreach and stuff, but there's always room for improvement. And then the other thing, and probably the, the thing we talked about the most was that we, for 2012 to be our best people year yet, we need to reach out and bring in more people. And, and several of you mentioned that in different ways in terms of everybody needs to invite you know, X number of people. And, and, and those are all great things. Obviously, a part of a good people year is more people. And uh, so to me, those were four great things. You know, a deeper connectivity among the congregation, speak out more as Christians, engage our community more, and reach out and, and bring in more people, you know, to where it is a regular issue that if you're not here early, um, you have to sit in the front row because the back rows are already taken. Um, I was picking on Tim as he walked in, but he's not going to sit up front anyway. Um, <laughs> but... But, but just think about that. You know, some, some of you read some of the same stuff I do, and, and you read about, about churches in other parts of the world where before the first service is over, people are lined up for the next service because there just isn't enough room. And, and, I, and obviously, it, that's not what it's all about. But there is a point at which more people is an issue, especially if we believe what we have to offer is has the capacity to improve their lives today and improve their lives for eternity. But having raised those four issues, and, and there was more wrapped up in that, and we will continue to unpack that. But having raised those issues, um, today I want to do a quick about face. And, and I want to say, as my title said, please don't pray. Okay? Please don't pray for deeper connectivity within our congregation. Okay? Nod your heads. Okay? Please don't pray for us to be more outspoken in, in representing Christ in our community. Nod your heads. Please don't pray for increased community engagement. And by all means, please don't pray for us to be more effective in reaching out. Okay? Show that next picture, Matt. It's not a really good picture, but... Does anybody recognize what that is? Raise your hand if you think you know what that is. It's a blueprint. 
All right. A couple of the construction. And what is it a blueprint of? This church. All right, go to the next one, Matt. Okay, you can see this was labeled. It's the footing detail, all right? And, and you know what a footing is. It's the trench they dig around the outside of the building that goes deeper. And you see in the, in the diagram there's some, uh, some dotted lines inside and there's steel reinforcement connecting the, the part that comes up to the part that goes down this way. And the reason that footing is important is because that's what supports all the weight of the walls, which in turn supports the weight of the roof, all right? Some of you have heard me tell this story before. Um, but when it came time to build this building, we were just really, really excited. We'd waited for 10 years as a church. We'd scrimped and scraped and saved and, and stuck our necks out on the line, borrowing a lot of money. We didn't know how we were going to repay. And, and it was exciting. And Carr Brothers uh, came in, and they, they did all the site work, and they got it just, just perfect. They dug the trenches for the footings, and the day came that the crew was supposed to come and set the forms for the footings. And, and I was a little bit late getting here that day because I just came and hung out every day to watch what they do, you know, pushing around dirt. Oh, you know. But, but I got here that day, and our contractor was a man named Fritz Wallfield. And Fritz was short, and Fritz was a little on the, on the gruff side. How many of you met Fritz? Jerry, Jerry had a great friendship with Fritz. A couple of you met Fritz. He was a little on the gruff side. Just what do you expect from a, from a seasoned contractor? And, and I pulled up, and Fritz and his sons were here, and I could tell as soon as I got out of the car, they weren't happy. And I said, I thought we were forming footings today. And I won't tell you what Fritz said, but he said he wasn't happy, all right? It didn't much matter to Fritz that I was a pastor. He said what he thought. And... And we talked about that. But the, the, uh, he explained that the, the crew showed up to form the footings at 10 o'clock in the morning. And when they got out of their truck, they had a can of beer in their hands. Now, you need to understand, Fritz was not opposed to a can of beer. The only people in town besides our church folks who knew Fritz from building our building were Cascarelli's. All right? But Fritz said, when he got out of the truck... And I saw that can of beer, I fired him. Now I've got to find somebody else to do our footings. Now here's the question. Why did Fritz fire him? Drinking before he worked. All right, Ed? He didn't have confidence in him. Craig? It wasn't going to do a good job. Of all the things, if we didn't have a good foundation, if we didn't have good footings, how could the rest of the building be what we desired it to be. So Fritz fired him on the spot. So, back to what I said earlier about please don't pray for those things. Please don't pray for a greater sense of community. Please don't pray for us to be more outspoken in the community. Please don't pray for us to engage our community more or for us to go out and bring in lots of people. Go to the next one. Oh, I got ahead of myself. I apologize. Let me find myself. You can go to the next one now. Just testing, Matt. This is his first day to run the slides for us, so... <laughs> That's right. Thank you very much. Um, 
But I want you to use your imagination with me. All right, we're, we're done with the building part. All right, but I want you to use your imagination. Imagine that there was someone in your life that you desperately wanted to come to Caring Community Church because you really felt that if they could get engaged here, their lives would be significantly improved. They might even come to know Jesus in a way that's real, personal, life-changing. They might accept him and guarantee a place for themselves in heaven for all eternity. And you feel these people really need that. And you've invited them, and you've invited them, and you've invited them. And then finally one day they say, I'm coming to church with you. Coming to church with you. Sunday, January 15, 2012, starting a new year, I'll be there. And you pull in that day, making sure you get here early because you don't want your guests to beat you here. All right? Hint, hint. Uh, but anyway, um, you pull in, and there's 12 inches of snow in the parking lot because Tim slept in and didn't come and plow it. Just picking on Tim. But seriously, there, there's snow in the parking lot, and you think, oh, man, that's really going to be awkward when they pull in. They've got to plod through all the snow. Are they going to get stuck in the parking lot? You come inside, and it's obvious that the church has not been cleaned that day. All right? I mean, it's obvious. You know, somebody used the bathroom, and they didn't flush the toilet, and as soon as you open the door, you smell it. Uh, the diapers are still in the nursery from last week, and you walk in the door, and it's like they've got kids they're going to put in the nursery, and it's, oh, my goodness. Instead of Ron and Pat and Dennis at the door, uh, they're at the door, but it's like they had lemon juice for breakfast that morning and they're just not in a good mood. They clearly had one of those days and it just radiates off from them. You meet your friends at the door, help them knock the snow off their boots. You take them down the hall to their older child's classroom and the teacher's not there yet. And you kind of make some excuses. And then finally the teacher comes running in at the last minute. And you think, boy, if we can just make it to service before they leave. And you get here and, and the worship team starts up and it's clear that we haven't rehearsed this week. And you think, oh man, at, at least, you know, pastor will deliver. And pastor delivers, but it's a yawner. How would you feel? How would you feel? Would you feel embarrassed? Would you feel bad that you had this opportunity and you finally got him here and it was squandered? What about, what about your friends? How do you think they would feel? So my question, now we can go to that next slide. What needs to happen first? What needs to happen before company comes? Do any of you have this at your house when company comes? Uh -huh. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You know, before company comes, we want to make sure the house is in order. Sometimes I find my stuff, myself cleaning stuff that I didn't even know we had because company's coming. All right? Friends, before we pray those things I talked about earlier, I want us to think a little bit about making sure the house is clean. You can go to the next one. There's a book called Unchristian. And you can't see it very well, but it says what a new generation really thinks about Christianity and why it matters. And it's focused primarily upon the, the 18 to, to 30 year age group, but it really applies to, to all of us. 
And, and one of the things that this research suggested is that when they think about the Christian church, one of their very first thought is they're a bunch of hypocrites. They're a bunch of hypocrites. The authors are David Kinneman and Gabe Lyons. And I'm going to read some excerpts from their work. In one study conducted by our firm, we explored more than 100 variables related to values, behaviors, and lifestyles, including both religious and non-religious areas of life. We compared born-again Christians to non-born-again adults. We discovered that born-agains were distinct on some religious variables. Most notably, born-agains owned more Bibles. They went to church more often. They donated money to religious nonprofits more often. Okay, yeah. All right. However, when it came to non-religious factors, the substance of people's daily choices, actions, and attitudes, there were few meaningful gaps between born-again Christians and non-born-agains. Christians emerged as distinct in areas people would expect, religious activities and commitments, but not in other areas of life. They continue, for instance, based on a study released in 2007, we found that most of the lifestyle activities of born-again Christians were statistically equivalent to those of non-born-agains. When asked to identify their activities over the past 30 days, born-again believers were just as likely to bet or gamble, to visit a pornographic website, to take something that did not belong to them, to consult a medium or a psychic, to physically fight or abuse someone, to have consumed enough alcohol to be considered legally drunk, to have used an illegal non-prescription drug, to have said something to someone that was not true, to have gotten back at someone for something he or she did, and to have said mean things behind another person's back. Statistically, no difference between those who say they are Christ followers and those who are not. One study we conducted examined Americans' engagement in some type of sexually inappropriate behavior, including looking at online pornography, viewing sexually explicit magazines or movies, or having an intimate sexual encounter outside of marriage. In all, we found that 30%, 3 out of 10 born-again Christians admitted to at least one of these activities in the past 30 days, compared to 35% of other Americans. In statistical and practical terms, this means the two groups are essentially no different from each other. Here's what all this boils down to. And I believe one of the most important findings of our research for this book. Among young outsiders, those folks outside the church, 84% say that they personally know at least one committed Christian. Okay? Yet just 15% thought that the lifestyles of those Christ followers were significantly different from the norm. Friends, 
if we're going to talk about Jesus, if we're going to invite people to meet our Jesus, then they better see something different in our life. Not that we're more judgmental, not that we have a holier-than-thou attitude, but that we truly live differently in a way that honors Christ. Reminding me of something I read this week in our Bible reading. Luke chapter 6, verses 41 and 42. Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The Apostle Peter put it a different way. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now I suspect some of you have backgrounds similar to mine. And growing up, to me, holy seemed like a bad thing. Okay, it seemed like a goody two-shoes kind of thing. It seemed like a, I think I'm better than you kind of thing. But the key here is the call to be holy as God is holy. And he is not holy in an inconsistent way. He is holy in that he is filled with compassion. But he is also filled with righteousness. Holy means, and and this is so striking against that research that I shared. Holy means to be set apart for God's purposes. To be different from those around us. And it's kind of sobering to think, that we've lost that or we are losing that be holy because he is holy and friends I don't know what your perception of God is and, and, and I can't and I can't speak to that but I can speak to, to my perception of God and, and my perception of God is he would not ask something of me that I'm not capable of doing and if he calls me to pursue holiness then I think that it must be that I can pursue it to his satisfaction and friends it's important as you look at that verse be holy because I am holy sometimes and I'm not saying this about any of you but I can't say it about myself sometimes it's easy for me to content myself with feeling like I'm holier than Todd okay I I got my act together and Todd I just don't know about him but what that verse says is Todd is not my standard God is my standard and that's what I need to strive for so I want to go back to my title when I said please don't pray and if you notice it says please don't pray blank unless you first pray blank So those things we talked about that it would take for caring community to have the best people year we've ever had. Please don't pray for deeper connectivity within our congregation unless you first pray, Lord, help me 
to love my neighbor as myself. Because, friends, the connectivity, the sense of community is contingent upon each one of us striving to be healthy spiritually and emotionally. And what better foundation than the holiness of God, the the wholehearted pursuit of being Christ-like in all areas of my life. So please don't pray for deeper connectivity unless you first pray, Lord, help me to truly love my neighbor as myself. Please don't pray for more, to be more outspoken unless you first pray, Lord, help every aspect of my life to be a clear reflection of you. Because friends, I, you know this, but if you're outspoken for Jesus and there's inconsistency in the way you live your life, people are going to see that. Heard a great quote this week. When it, and speaking of this being outspoken, you are what you are, not what you tell people you are. Did you get that? You are what you are, not what you tell people you are. So if that's true, if I'm going to speak out and say we need to keep Christian values in our culture, we need to respect Christian boundaries, then I need to be what I am. And what I say I am and what I am need to be consistent. So please don't pray to be more outspoken unless you first pray. Lord, help my life to be a clear reflection of you. Please don't pray for increased community engagement unless you first pray, Lord, help me to be fully engaged with you so that when I step out into the community, people see something in me that is positive, not perfect, but someone who is clearly striving to daily become more of what Christ calls us to be. Friends, this is not about having it all together and, and, and having every pers- aspect of your personal life just so, but it is about daily striving to sync up and line our lives up with the righteousness of God. Then finally, I would say, please don't pray to reach more people who are far from Jesus unless you first pray, Lord, help me to daily draw closer and closer and closer to you. Don't pray, Lord, send in the masses unless you pray, Lord, help me to be holy as you are holy. I didn't put the scripture up there. But you can go to the next slide if you would, Matthew. What would it look like for 2012 to be our best people year ever? The one verse that I don't have up there is from Titus. And he says it this way, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all. God's grace has appeared to all of us. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. Friends, that's the resource that we have. But when I thought about what would it look like for 2012 to be our best people year yet, one of the starting places 
was also from our reading this week. And, and it's one of those stories I, I love, I've taught it, I've referenced it. You can go to Luke chapter 19 if you would, Matthew. Luke chapter 19, it's, it's the story about Jesus and, and, and Zacchaeus. And it says there, you're reading it, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him. When I think about what would it take for 2012 to be our best people year yet, the end of that verse jumped at me. And friends, I have to ask you, when was the last time you ran because you wanted to see Jesus? When was the last time you inconvenienced yourself, maybe even embarrassed yourself because you wanted to be close to him? Friends, for 2012 to be our best people year yet, a part of that equation is going to be for each and every one of us to want that, that holiness, that set-apartness, bad enough that we're going to run to Jesus from time to time. And not just when we're in trouble, okay? But we're running to Jesus just because we want to be closer to him because the closer I am to him, the greater the capacity for me to be like him. We're going to sing a, a, another set of songs. And, and, and friends, this isn't just to fill the time until it's time to go home. I, I asked Kathleen to pick some songs that would give each of us the opportunity to spend some time. And, and normally, I'm all for saying, y'all got to sing, all right? But if it's better for you not to sing right now, I'm good with that too. But, but we really wanted to provide you with a, with a, a chunk of time for you to run to Jesus if you need to. For you to just stop and say, Lord, there are some things in my life that I need to clean house before company comes. So if it's easier for you to sit in your seat or to kneel where you're at, to come up front and kneel. We don't have the kneelers here, but you can still kneel at the platform if that's helpful for you. But, but let this be an opportunity where you say, you know what, Lord, I really do want to run to you. I really do want to strive to be holy as you're holy. And, and Lord, I got a long ways to go, but I'm willing to take the first step if you'll walk with me. Okay? Would you pray with me while the worship team comes up? Father, I know that, uh, that I've thrown a lot out. And I know for me, some of it's pretty uncomfortable. But I celebrate that we don't have to walk this journey alone. I celebrate that it is your Father's heart to come alongside of us, to send your spirit to dwell within us, to draw us ever closer to you. Father, because the, the holiness is not about just what we don't do and what we do, but really is about allowing you to flow through us. So as we sing these songs, Father, it is my prayer that this will be a time for us to simply come before you to run to you, to climb the sycamore tree, to sit quietly, or to sing with our whole heart as a way of saying, Lord, I want you. 
and I want to be what you have called me to be. I want those who see me to see glimpses of you that are appealing and attractive. Thank you, Father. Amen. So last night I got a chance to do uh, some grilling, um, which is nice. I, I have, we have this gas grill in our back deck, and it's, it's always like to do it in the snow. It's just fun to grill in the snow. It's a way to keep warm. And in that grill, I've got these tools, and they're, they're, they're my grilling tools. And, you know, I've got these tongs, nice and long, and a, and a fork, and then a spatula, all nice and long. I can get in there. I can flip burgers or steaks or anything I want to. Those, those tools are set apart. They're, they're dad's barbecuing tools. There's nothing, there's nothing super fancy about them except they are the tools I want to use when I want to grill. I don't want to go in and get a knife from inside the, the, the kitchen. Um, I don't want to get just a metal knife that's going to burn my hand. I want my grilling tools with the wood handles and, the, and they're nice and long that let me get things in and out. Those tools are set apart. Okay? They're holy. Holy to me. But they're holy. They're set apart because they have a purpose and they are the tools I want to use. I don't want something different. And, you know, those tools aren't perfect. I mean, there's, there's one that's got a little bit of duct tape wrapped around it because the wood split. But I like it so much and it does such a good job that I don't want to get rid of it. And I think when we say, Lord, I want to be holy, we're not saying, Lord, I want to be perfect. We're, gonna, we're saying, Lord, I want to be set apart and used by you. And if I'm a little bit weathered because I've been around for a while, if I've got a little bit of duct tape on me, if I shine up real nice when I'm clean, that's all good. But mainly, being holy just means I want to be set apart for your use, Lord, and for you to use me the way I want. But I want to be the go-to person. I don't have to be the fork that God always uses when he eats. But I want to know that when he's grilling or when he's got a special purpose, that he says, I've got to have that tongue. I've got to have that person. I got to have that woman and that man for this job. That's my go-to person.